The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Let's get to our guest, Jeff Schultz, who's director and investment strategist at ClearBridge Investments. So, Jeff, if you want to be bearish, yes, you can say that maybe the market has already discounted aggressive Fed tightening and that the soft landing scenario is kind of thrown out the window. But if you take into account what Mike Wilson's talking about from Morgan Stanley and earnings revisions, particularly if you see those earnings revisions of up around 10 percent or so for profits next year, then you could see another leg down that perhaps is not even close to being priced in. Your thoughts? Well, first off, thank you for having me on the program. And I, I think there's a lot of validity to Mike Wilson's argument. You know, first off, multiples have expanded back above 17 times forward earnings. One could make the argument that the multiple compression that you've seen so far has really been driven by the rise of the 10-year Treasury. It really hasn't been driven uh, by the uh, reality of lower earnings expectations as we move into a slower growth environment and potentially a a recession and maybe a deep recession if the Fed has to continue to hike from here. But one thing that we've watched is the relationship between manufacturing PMI and earnings. Usually manufacturing PMI in the U.S. leads earnings by two quarters. And if you go all the way back to 1957, um, every bear market that we've seen and there was Fed tightening prior to that bear market and eight out of nine of those instances, manufacturing PMI bottomed in its first decile of all readings, which is a level of 43 or lower, that's consistent with double-digit uh, earnings declines. Um, so I think given the fact that the Fed is embarking on the second fastest start to a tightening cycle since 1955, and we're going to see quantitative tightening doubling here in September, uh, I think there's a strong risk of a policy error, and I think earnings are just way too optimistic. And you say potentially uh, the effect of a recession not being a foregone conclusion. What are you expecting in terms of some of the other data when we t particularly look ahead to jobs? Well, the jobs print uh, expectations are for 300,000. Um, I think it's probably going to come in above those levels, even though we got a soft ADP print earlier today. But if you look at ADP's relationship with the employment survey uh, that comes out, uh, there has been no correlation over the last year. So I'm not putting a lot of faith into the, the data that we got today, but looking at other jobs and labor market data that we've seen here recently, a blockbuster uh, job openings number yesterday, well above consensus expectations. You see initial jobless claims coming back down to the 240,000 per week range. Uh, and you've also um, seen a, a lot of resilience uh, in a lot of the, the wage growth measures out there. Uh, I'm anticipating uh, a beat to the upside, and we're firmly in an environment where bad news, uh, good news is bad news for equity investors. Yeah. And we saw that with Jolts yesterday. 
It's possible that the selling could be getting close to exhausting itself, um, maybe in the short term, but maybe even longer term. And I, you, you, you pointed out some historical uh, inputs there, so I can ask you about this. From March of 1981 to June of 82, when Volcker was being his most potent, the S&P 500 fell 19 percent. And, you know, we've seen those kind of losses already this year. How much is discounted? Well, I think if you go back to the early 1980s, um, you know, PEs were in single digits, you know, very different environment than where we find ourselves today with a forward PE of around 17. So markets are certainly much more expensive uh, than Vol when Volcker had to break the back yeah. of inflation. Um, so I, I do think that there's probably some more downside to the markets. And um, look, I, I think we may retest the lows that we saw back in June. We may break through them, but I, I don't think it's going to get much more uh, aggressive than that um, if a recession does ensue, because I do believe because of the health of the consumer, the health of bank, uh, um, company balance sheets, banks are in very good positions today, that um, this will be a shallow recession when all is said and done. And the earnings degradation isn't going to be as aggressive as what you've seen in some of these deeper recessions. So you're saying some choppiness and volatility over the next four months. Is there any particular sector that you would pick up at these levels or hold on to? I know you're overweight energy. Yeah, I, I like a, a bit of an eclectic mix of sectors. I, I think energy is an attractive opportunity given valuations, free cash flow generation, and really the lack of investment uh, that you're seeing this time compared to when energy is last at these levels. Um, so I, I think that is going to be an area, even though you're seeing some weakness, and if you do see a U.S. recession and some global weakness, you could see some more price uh, weakness as we move through the next couple of months. But let's not forget, Global inventories are at very low levels. Um, looking back to July, out of the 10 OPEC countries, uh, only three of them hit their production quotas. Um, so it's a very tight market. And with natural gas prices being so high, over in Europe, there's going to be some substitution from natural gas over to oil. So I think energy is an attractive area. And surprisingly, throughout this rally, um, utilities, you would think we would have be having a difficult time with the rise of the 10-year Treasury, but over 90% of utilities in the S&P 500 are above its 200-day moving average. Uh, only energy can boast that same claim. So I think utilities will do well in this environment, and uh, you also want to have staples in there because of the volatility and the downward pressure that I'm anticipating. It's a delicate uh, scenario that we have right here. You can imagine the, the Fed's predicament, uh, worried about both sides. I mean, some people doubt the Fed's resolve, uh, but, uh, you know, I don't think you'd bet on that because if they were to just throw in the towel and say, ah, oh, we're happy with what we've done so far, we'll wait to see what happens and let inflation run, that could be even worse. There's another concern, which is that right now with this stance of being ultra hawkish, that you could see quite a sell off and rich people, you know, rich people getting a lot poorer may not be good for spending or the economy. So it's pretty tough. What I'd say to that is, yes, if you look at the top 20% of American households, a uh, vast majority of the equity and mutual fund assets accrue to this cohort, but this is still the same cohort that has the lowest propensity to change their spending patterns. The bottom 60% of Americans really spend that marginal dollar, and the bottom 60% of Americans, their largest asset has been their home. And although home price appreciation is going to come down, um, they've been continuing to accrue net wealth uh, over the course of this year. So certainly going to hurt spending on the, the margin, if you will. Um, but I don't think uh, the consumer is being as affected from financial market volatility as one would expect. 
Let's talk about China. I mean, the PMI data for August was a modest beat, but still showing a lot of challenges for this economy and prompted more downgrades. I think ANZ now saying 3% growth for the year. What is enough to kind of jumpstart China's economy here? Well, look, this, the soft reading that we got there really shouldn't be a surprise, right? There's a lot of headwinds that are out there. You obviously have the hot weather, the drought. Uh, you had a policy vacuum in the first half of August, which has now been uh, reversed. Um, you've seen a pickup of COVID cases, the property downturn. But you are seeing some change, right? There's some certainty on the 20th Party Congress now being announced on October 16th. So some of the political uncertainties are going to be removed. You saw a cut in some key interest rates uh, or a couple of weeks ago. And then also um, there's been a release of the stimulus package uh, just last week. But I think the key here is this is not the shock and all stimulus that you normally see when the Chinese economy is weak. So I think this is certainly enough to stabilize the economy, um, at least until we get through the party Congress. But I don't think it's enough really to jumpstart growth like we've seen in prior cycles. Have you tried to game out uh, policy direction after the party Congress? Yeah, I, I think that there's going to be an incentive to uh, perk up the economy. I think obviously you're seeing a boost of credit growth and in infrastructure. Um, the property sector is obviously the main driver of growth in China over time. Um, I would argue it's the most important asset class to the global economy. And with the drop of mortgage rates, this would be normally enough to boost housing demand. But authorities are taking steps in order to, to instill confidence in consumers in the housing markets. And I do think as we get through the party Congress, that more effort will be done in this area and they will be able to achieve their initiative, which is to stop the the decline that you're seeing in property broad based and and obviously turn it into a support in the economy as we move into 2023. Jeff, great to have you with us. Jeff Schultz, Director and Investment Strategist at Clearbridge Investments on the line from New York for us here on Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.